You're listening to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. Today, we'll be talking to Nancy Hennessy, author of the Reading Comprehension Blueprint. We'll explore reading comprehension processes and products, reading strategies, the role of background knowledge and vocabulary, and so much more. Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. Today, we are talking all about reading comprehension. And we have a great guest for this topic today. We have Nancy Hennessy, who is an experienced teacher and educator, but I mean, I think most of my of the audience will know her as the author of the Reading Comprehension Blueprint, which is why she's here to talk about comprehension. So welcome, Nancy. Thanks so much. I'm really thrilled to be here with you. You're doing such wonderful work and providing resources for teachers, which is so, so important. As you know, I was a teacher uh, and administrator for many years in school, and so I know how important it is to share our knowledge and what we've learned over the years. So, um, and of course, I love talking about comprehension. Uh, For many, many years, I was a decoding queen, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) recognized and realized that I wasn't paying enough attention to comprehension. And so that's really been my focus for the last several years. Yeah. Well, we are including this episode as the one of the culminations of a series about reading science. And we really broke down, um, you know, the other side, quote, the other side of the reading rope, and we went beyond phonics. So I'm hoping that you could start us off with what is comprehension? Just a, a quick overview for those listening. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place for us to start. Um, I think for many of us, when we think of comprehension, we think about it in a very um, solitary way, um, in an isolated way. And I think it's important for all of us um, to begin thinking about the fact that it's quite complex. So I want to invite your listeners immediately to start thinking about how do they define comprehension so that they can make connections as we have this conversation this morning. When I think about comprehension, of course, I turn to the literature. Um, I turn to the research, to the science. And one of the individuals uh, whose work I greatly admire is Hugh Katz. And recently, uh, he has spoken to this issue um, in terms of its complexity. And he and colleagues have described it as one of the most complex behaviors that we engage in as human beings. So I think that's important to keep in mind. And then to move from there and to be thinking about, well, how does the literature really describe comprehension? You know, when I work with educators, oftentimes what they surface for me is something that they're teaching. For instance, finding the main idea. That's what comprehension is. That's a product of comprehension. But I think we need to go broader than that because comprehension is not just a single skill or strategy. Um, It really is the result of multiple skills and knowledge. So I would like to share then the fact that the RIN Reading Study Group described it as extracting and constructing meaning. And I think that's that's the focus. Um, But it's much more than that, I think, as well. But did you want to ask me something? Look like you wanted to ask me something. Well, I was just thinking, like, I love the idea of thinking of comprehension as complex, right, from the get-go. Often Mm -hmm. it, you know, I think that we know that, but sometimes it, it feels, I think, more simple than it is when we're, I don't know, when we're like thinking about how to teach it. But it's really not something that I think you can necessarily teach. I think it's something you can help students think about, right? Like constructing that meaning. So Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if you want to react to that or say more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, I I think right on uh, that we need to always be thinking about the complexity because for many of us, if we're skilled readers, when we come to text, it feels effortless. It doesn't feel as if it takes a great deal of energy and thought. We just automatically move through the text. But the reality is it is quite effortful for many of our readers. And in terms of the complexity and teaching comprehension, I think in order to do that, we have to understand um, 
you know, what does it entail? Right. And I turn to Castles and colleagues' description of comprehension. It really guides most of my work and thinking. And they talk about the fact that it's not a single entity. So we have to think about the fact that there are multiple models that we can turn to that identify the multiple contributors to comprehension. That's the first piece, I think. And then secondly, they talk about the fact that it's the orchestrated product, right? And we'll talk some more about product in a moment, I think. Mm -hmm. It's the orchestrated product of multiple, multiple linguistic and cognitive processes and skills, right? So there's a great deal that's going into comprehension. And then lastly, they speak to the fact that when we are working with text and when we're teaching our students to work with text, we have to keep in mind that there's this interaction that goes on um, between the features of the text and what the reader is bringing and what the purpose is that we're setting. So that's a lot, right? It's sort of like, whew, you know, all of that <laughs> needs to go into our thinking about comprehension. And I don't think we can teach comprehension per se. It's not a skill, right? But we can teach our students and help them develop the contributors to comprehension, particularly the language comprehension contributors that are necessary to make meaning. So I hope that helped or uh, 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 clarified maybe uh, the perspective that I'm using, uh, using what the science is telling us about comprehension and its complexity. Yeah, I'm wondering, Nancy, if we can jump into that products and processes, yeah. because I yeah. think that yeah. can be really confusing. I know that I'm, I I can think about reading comprehension as like, okay, when, I, when I'm reading, I am comprehending, right? That's what I'm, I'm trying to comprehend when I'm reading. But then also there's that end product of I have comprehended <laughs> what I've read. <laughs> right. Um, right. So as a teacher, it's hard to think about it in both of those ways. Do you want to yeah. dig yeah. into that? Yeah. And I think this is a different way to think about it as an educator. I think oftentimes what we're thinking about is the product, right? Mm -hmm. um, can, yes. can, we, can we get our students to a place where they can indicate that they understood what they read, all right? So the product is really the end result. It's, it's really what is it that the reader is taking away from um, the reading of the text or multiple texts, all right? Um, if we think a little bit about um, the oral response that we expect from students when we ask them a question or the written response. So if they're listening to, for instance, if they're listening to uh, read aloud early on, like Stand Up Molly Lou Mellon, some of you may know that little book, um, which is about a, a little character who has many, many differences. Um, and her grandmother is really her um, advocate. And so if we ask a question like, what was her grandmother's message? The response is the product. It, it, it indicates whether or not the student, the reader is walking away with an understanding of what that text was conveying. Um, that's a little different than processes because, you know, when we have a product, if we think even about a production line, right, um, how do we get the product? Well, you get it through multiple processes or contributors to that, to that product. So what are the processes? We're talking here about multiple language and cognitive processes. So what does it take, all right, to be able to respond to, oh, even if we were um, asking students uh, something about um, uh, why did the founding fathers have to compromise if we were reading, um, let's say, a middle school text about American democracy, right? So how do we get there? Well, uh, Kane and Oak will tell us that in order to get there, we have to, we have to process the language of the text. So first of all, we want our students to be able to read the words, word recognition important. But now let's think a little bit about language comprehension. So we want them to be able to do what? Access the meaning of the words. So there's our vocabulary. All right. We want them to be able to work out the syntactic sense of the sentence. That's sentence comprehension. We want them to be able to integrate the meanings within and between the sentences. All right. That's a special type of inference. And we want them to be able to incorporate, incorporate their background knowledge so that they can arrive at what, what's not explicitly stated in the text. So the overall goal here is for the student to have that product, and it can be different types of products, but an overall goal, the ultimate goal, is a mental construction of meaning, a mental model, an overall understanding that we take away with us, right? 
I can go over. Oh, I don't want to keep going if you want to ask me a question. I was going to go a little well, further, but I'll stop. <laughs> I was just going to jump in and say, I always felt as a teacher, this was the hardest part for me because it all happens in their brains and you don't know I what's know. happening. I know. <laughs> it's in, it's I invisible. Know. So yeah, you get that product of whatever the answer is, right or wrong, but you have no idea what, what which one of those many things you just listed, Nancy, kind of may have tripped them up if they got it wrong. You know, you're like... <laughs> Could be yeah. so many things. <laughs> and, 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 this, and this is why when we begin to design instruction, and when I thought about instruction, I designed the blueprint because it's an overall picture of what does the teacher have to consider as they plan for instruction? Of course, always taking into account the reader, the task, the text, and the context. The other thing I want to say about this is in terms of what's going on in their mind, <laughs> um, because when we talk about processes, we're talking about these language processes and skills, but we're talking about, you know, what's happening cognitively? Well, they're identifying idea units, so they're looking at the meaning of the words, they're looking at the sentences, they're figuring out the who and the do, all right? Um, what does this sentence tell me? At the same time, what do they have to do? They have to integrate the information within and between the sentences. So if I'm talking about dinosaurs, and then in the next sentence I say it, and it reference back to, to a specific type of dinosaur, I have to understand that, that I'm still talking about the dinosaurs. So there are clue words. And then, of course, we want the reader to be monitoring and thinking about does this make sense to me, right? And if it doesn't, what are the strategies, what are the fix-up strategies I can use to kind of get over that hurdle? And then, of course, the incorporation of background knowledge. So, you know, processing on a larger level here, um, you know, we talk about integrative, we talk about now elaborative processing in which the reader is, you know, incorporating that background knowledge and then finally arriving where? At that mental model. So this is quite complex, but an understanding of this gives us a um, kind of a bird's eye view into that brain, <laughs> into what's actually happening in the mind of the reader and what might go wrong. And there is research that supports that when they have difficulty with the product, oftentimes it's not the product, it's the processes that are faulty. And it's even more complex because it's different for Right. Each each child's bringing something different to that text. And then every text that they encounter is different. <laughs> right. So the vocabulary is different. The knowledge is different for the students and the texts. And so, you know, it's not going to be the same every time you read a book. Not at all. And so this is why um, I'm very much an advocate. And I believe you are, too, of using the text that the students are reading in order to develop these processes, skills, the knowledge that's necessary to work with the text. This is not um, isolated skill work, but this is actually looking at what is my reader bringing and what is this text demanding? Yeah. Yeah. And what am I it, asking them to do? <laughs> yeah. And it, it is so complicated. Like going back to that example that you gave, Nancy, just very practically thinking about the dinosaurs and the 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 word it in the next sentence and referring back to the dinosaurs and having an understanding that the word it is referring back. I mean, you're, when you ask the question, right, like what is it referring to? The student has, has an opportunity to show that product, but it could be a guess. They could guess, right? We don't know. It, like there's so many invisible things. We don't know their prior knowledge about dinosaurs or, you know, or is dinosaurs a familiar term to them that they're even being able to connect it and a dinosaur or is that confusing to them? Um, and many other factors as well, right? The I just keep thinking about the five pillars and how in the pillars, it seems so neat and clean in terms of like, these are the five things they need, but comprehension really seeps over into all of the other ones. So it's almost like it should be a foundation instead of a, a pillar. Like I want to put it at the bottom of the building. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it is the goal. It is, yeah, it is I know. Goal. I know. <laughs> it, it, it is the goal. And cer certainly, I mean, when you think about the reading rope, I mean, if you just think about that reading rope and you think about those strands of word recognition and then the strands of language comprehension, they all do need to come together in order for the the reader to be able to not only read the words, but make meaning simultaneously. So yes, um, I think it's you, Katz, um, in the article on Rethinking Comprehension that spoke mm -hmm. to uh, this very uh, topic. Uh, you know, it's not a skill. And why have we been thinking about it as a skill? 
And uh, that separation out, uh, certainly the work of the National Reading Panel was incredibly important, but everything evolves. Um, and we have to continue to be thinking about the fact that comprehension is not equal to <laughs> or the same as vocabulary or those other pillars that are represented. It is the end goal. Yeah. 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 Such a good point. We love, we talked to Hugh about that article and we loved that conversation. It was so oh. helpful. So helpful. To understand. Such a rich, such a rich article, and of course he's he's spoken to this in, in multiple venues now, including yours. And um, yeah, he's a resource that I frequently look to. I, I think one of the things that we've not paid enough attention to is this language base um, for comprehension. Um, the fact that really what we're doing when we're working with our students in terms of comprehension is helping them move from this oral language base, and we're translating for them what it looks like in writing right? And, and it's all dependent upon what, what it is that they're bringing and how we continue to develop their language competencies. Yeah. Yeah. And keeping text at the center of that is so important. That's Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But the reality is, if we want our students to be able to work with the academic language of text, with academic text as they move through the grades, we have to be working directly with the text. And the focus has to be on what's that text telling us? Because after all, what is comprehension all about? It's all about learning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about acquiring knowledge, right? So um, I, I think it's Susan Newman who wrote an article talking about knowledge and that, um, you know, it's comprehension in disguise. <laughs> so I think I think so, so important that that we keep our eye on the ball. I mean, in the blueprint, I have asked teachers to think about content goals as well as literacy skills, um, uh, goals and objectives. Um, I don't, I, I think certainly many of the new curricula that have come out that are focused on knowledge are doing that, but I don't think that's something that we've typically done in the past. You know, we've been very focused on the skills and strategies and kind of mixed up those two terms as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we we are guilty of that, Lori and I. We have. Hey, shared. me too. I, I I I can put my hand up for lots of things that I didn't do uh, in the way that I would do them now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. We actually had a recent episode talking about that because we felt we we put it in our quote hot topic series because we felt like it was so important and a topic that is very frequently misunderstood, you know, including by us. <laughs> um, and I, I think that might be a great place to to go next, Nancy, if you're willing. Like, where do strategies fit? And if there yeah. is so much research for strategies, which we know there's research for strategies, then why aren't they the focus, right? Like, why is the focus keeping the text at the center and using the strategies to access that? Yeah. Well, I think it's a great question, and I think it's one that we all continue to ask ourselves because perhaps um, we have a history of teaching uh, reading strategies. I do as well. <laughs> um, I think, I think first of all, clarity of terms is really critical. Um, if we think about the fact skilled readers come to text and they're fairly automatic about making meaning, reading words and making meaning. It's not to say they don't sometimes encounter a hurdle that they have to overcome. But oftentimes, um, those who are struggling with reading or are less skilled do need a strategy, do need um, a way to interact with the text, or even us occasionally perhaps reading a text that's very unfamiliar for us. We have to access, I think about reading scientific journals, right? Mm -hmm. We have to access. I know, that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, we, we even know that topic, but I still need my strategies for that. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think, I think we need to be thinking about strategies as a means to an end, um, of course, they're intentional, all right? Um, they're not necessarily automatic. Um, we need to be modeling them. Uh, we need to be providing practice and hopefully opportunity for generalization. Um, but they are not the be-all and the end-all. I mean, they, they are intended to get the student to a place where they have skill, which is automatic, so that we can just come to text and read, all right? However, they are a fallback when, in fact, we are having difficulty with the text. Um, I think the other thing we have to be doing um, is, is thinking through um, how we differentiate strategies, all right? I think there's been a major focus on uh, strategies for product and not so much strategies for process or, or what I would consider language skills, 
right? So if I so if I think about strategies for a product, certainly main idea is one that pops into my mind. And there's an old, old strategy called RAP. Read the paragraph, ask yourself these questions, put it in your own words. I think a newer version of that is getting the gist, all right? Mm-hmm. All right. That's very focused on product. And for the student who really doesn't have that skill, all right, um, it would be important to be giving them a strategy to help them get through the text. But the uh, but the 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 purpose here is that that will become automatic. I think it's Danielle McNamara that talks about strategies made automatic or skills. All right, and I think that's important to keep in mind. Versus mm-hmm. um, versus thinking about strategies for a process. All right, um, being able to figure out the meaning of a word, for instance, using an independent word learning strategy like morphology. All right. It's really more focused on developing a language skill or process, right? It, it's it's if we're not there, we can't, you know, we can't give the student the meaning of or remind them of. The student needs to independently do that. And so we can model that and hope that that will become. The other differentiation I would make here is strategies we use as teachers, instructional routines. And I think this is this has gotten muddied, all right? I think that Sometimes we don't make those differentiations and keep in mind what the purpose is. Um, so teacher strategies, instructional routines, activities, different than those we're teaching our students in order to make their way through the text. Um, I always think the focus has to be on the text. It's always about what am I taking away from this text? How can I develop all right, the capability of working through that text? All right, and, and one by one, aggregating. All right, those idea units, so that I have a big picture idea of what happened in that text. Yeah, I hope that helped. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I did listen to uh, uh, Dr. Peter Afflerback talk about this differentiation, and also Tim Shanahan. So I'm on board with that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely echoed some of those those same. same well, the, well, when you when you really continue to read the literature and keep thinking about this, uh, there's a consensus, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that we often, it's so black and white often where it's like you either teach strategies or you don't teach strategies. And mm. it's like, a, it's not a, <laughs> it's not no. one or the other, right? It's not strategies or knowledge, right? We, we're doing both. And it's, it's not one. That's right. It's not one or the other, but, but I, I continue to think about the fact that why do we want our students to comprehend text? We want them to learn. We want them to take away knowledge, all right? And so exactly. how do we get there? How do we get there? There's a difference between how we get there and, and that ultimate product. And so we have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk about the blueprint now. Ah, <laughs> I feel like we, oh. we, bar- we buried the lead a little, right? Oh, <laughs> let's talk blueprint. about the blueprint. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we've we've mentioned how, several times in the past, it's been about 20 minutes, how, how complex <laughs> this it is to teach comprehension. So you, you made this blueprint to sort of help teachers make some sense of it and the things to think about. So yeah, we can't wait yeah. to hear about it. Yeah. Well, I kept, I kept thinking about the varied models, all right, and what the science uh, was telling us um, and uh, this kind of process versus product approach. And so, um, you know, I was really inspired by the reading rope, by Hollis Scarborough's work, the language comprehension, but also some of the other models, um, the simple view and Chuck Perfetti's work and so on. And so I kept thinking, how can I represent this um, in a way that makes sense to teachers? And I have to tell you that the origin of the blueprint really was my work with Louisa Motes um, when I was a national trainer, one of the first trainers for um, Language Essentials for Teachers of Reading and Spelling. And then she and I worked. Oh, (laughs) it was a phenomenal, wonderful opportunity. And she gave me the opportunity to work with her on the second edition, Module 6, which was all about comprehension. So really, this thinking grew out of that and then work with teachers. I developed actually a blueprint training and people kept saying, wow, blueprint, what does that look like? So (laughs) I want to say up front, the blueprint is not cast in concrete. It continues to evolve based on the science. So what is it? It's a master plan. It's a framework. You know, if you're going to construct a comprehension house, you need a blueprint, all right? 
It's not a lesson plan. It's not a unit, unit organizer. It's a big picture. And you can derive your unit organizer and your lesson plans from it. All right. Um, it does align with the science. Um, it is flexible from the perspective of, you know, the teacher has to be thinking about the students they're working with. Um, Lori said this earlier, and so did you, Melissa. You know, kid, kiddos are different. So it's flexible in terms of the students you're working with, the texts you're working with, and so on. Um, and it asks teachers to think about um, uh, uh, to think about. All right, if I need to include vocabulary, well, what questions should I be asking myself about how I design vocabulary instruction? All right, so that's big picture on it. Okay, so it begins by asking teachers to think about planning for prep planning or preparing for instruction by identifying what are the big ideas you want your students to take away? What are the critical understandings? So the question that the teachers are asked to respond to is, what do you want your students to know and understand, right? And that then moves into, okay, if that's what you want your students taking away, all right, then what do your goals look like? What's your purpose for yeah. teaching? What's your, what are your content goals and objectives, right? And then what are your literacy skills, those goals and objectives? So as Tim Shanahan said, double outcomes for reading, <laughs> okay? Both okay. knowledge and content as well as skill, right? And then it also, inherent within that, and we can talk a little bit more about this, is the types of readings that your students would be using, right? And then you move into the actual reading. The blueprint then moves into those contributors, all right? Um, that really align with, again, the models, particularly the reading rope. And so, you know, it's about text reading. What do you have to have in place in order to understand the text? So vocabulary, right? Sentence comprehension. You have to understand text structure, by the way, a specialized type of background knowledge. You have to have background knowledge. And then you need to be thinking about expression of understanding, levels of understanding. How do you move your students um, from, you know, a literal to inferential understanding? And coupled with each one of those contributors, there are questions. So the questions for vocabulary are, which words will you teach? Which ones will you intentionally teach? You can't teach them all. How and when? <laughs> which words will you incidentally on purpose teach because you need to continue to develop the oral language for your students, all right? Uh, as well as develop vocabulary through reading. How and when will you do that? How about independent word learning strategies like morphology and context? How and when will you teach those? And then how will you develop word consciousness as kind of overall interest in word? Now, I didn't arrive at those questions by myself. I read the literature on vocabulary. I read the experts on vocabulary. So every one of those contributors, which reflect those levels of language processing or language comprehension, have similar questions. Right? And then running throughout the blueprint is a, a bi-directional arrow that calls attention to the fact that you have to teach your kids to monitor comprehension if they're not doing that. And you need to give them, by the way, strategies <laughs> all right, for getting over the hurdles. So for instance, the strategy for um, vocabulary is to use independent word learning strategies, all right? Not just reread, all right? That's not enough. Use what you know about words. Oh, I can use my knowledge of morphemes, or maybe the context will give me the meaning, and so on. And also some flexibility in terms of before, during, and after instruction. That's up to the teacher. It's determined by the reader, the text, and the task you're asking them to do. So again, it's a framework. It's an overall look at comprehension. Um, it's a lot. And when I um, work with teachers, I say to them one bite at a time, <laughs> right? And be thinking about what is it that you need to do for the reader that you're working with? Yeah. So that's the blueprint. I'm so glad that you mentioned, uh, I, well, I'm so glad that you walked us through it. Thank you. And that bi-directional arrow, I wanted to just kind of name something that, um, you know, when I was teaching using a strategy slash skill-based method where that was the product of comprehension, right? Where I was trying, oh, let's try to master main idea, which we know we can't. <laughs> um, I was thinking very much in that like before, during, and after space. 
And yeah. I think in my like teacher brain, I associated that with very skill-based instruction. And I really appreciate you calling out that, you know, it is not something that is you know, one time we do it before, one time we do it during, we do it after. It is just kind of happening all throughout. And maybe we're going back into text and and we know this as as adult readers, but um, I think sometimes as we try to make it very concrete and kind of like Melissa said in the beginning, I think, or, or maybe you said it, Nancy, very black and white. It's not. And um, I just appreciate you calling out before, during, and after there because that I know made such a difference for me when I was reading the blueprint. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go back to, you know, what I know is true, which is more than one thing can be true at once. And we're, we're always going before, during, and after. And we're building knowledge all the time. And we're building vocabulary yes. in all of yes. those places before, during, yes. and after. Like it's not just during. Well, it's, 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 right. It's not that these th things all fit in these little boxes. boxes you know, yeah. I mean, you, you know, I mean, if we, if we think about this, I mean, we're, we're consistently, it's, it's difficult because I think as teachers, it's, it's easier for us to think, oh, now I'm working on this and now I'm working on this. And now, I'm, and, and yes, sometimes we need to, to be very directed and explicit about certain aspects of, of reading. All right. But the reality is all of these contributions to comprehension are integrated and they're working together with one another. And so it's really hard to tease out, you know, how do you tease out vocabulary from background knowledge? Very difficult I know. to do. Yeah, right? So, tough. so how do you tease out how do you tease out syntax syntax, syntactical knowledge, uh, this ability to work with sentence, the order of word and sentence from word meaning? The word meaning changes dependent upon where it is in the sentence. So, <laughs> so, so uh, this understanding that yes, we can think about these contributors individually, but the reality is they're all working together, and we need to be flexible in our approach to to working with the text. Yeah, that's a great point, Lori. Yeah, I'm glad that helped. <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. did. I appreciate that. And we, for anyone listening, I know Nancy just walked us through very. Uh, gracefully the blueprint, but we will uh, make sure that we provide something for you to be able to either know where to get it or to yeah. uh, be able to see it yourselves. So we will yeah. do that for yeah. you for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. That will be helpful. I, I, I know I can talk about it, but it's very helpful to have the visual and, and that's why I created a visual for it. Yeah. I even yeah. pulled it up for myself here. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, sometimes I do that. I had a slide ready just in case for myself. So I, the other thing I want to say is that, um, you know, I developed the blueprint really for K-8, all right? But it is adaptable for those students who are struggling in upper grades. And the reality is for middle and high school teachers, um, there are some things I would add to the blueprint, and I'm thinking about that for the future, um, specific to, for instance, disciplinary literacy, right? Um, because as students move through, up through the grades, um, you know, and we think about text structure, for instance, um, you know, there are some characteristics of, uh, of uh, science text, social studies text, and so on. And we know, we know Tim Shanahan and some others have done some work in this area, um, as well as others. So um, uh, for those who are listening and interested in the blueprint, know that that's, that's on the horizon. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, all right. So that's, that's the blueprint. I that's think the I blueprint. I wanted to say, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm wondering, Nancy, if we could get like really practical. I mean, I know we have this blueprint, but if we're putting our teacher hat on and we're thinking, okay, I am, um, I know you said in our, uh, just before we hopped on that you taught fifth grade and I did too. Um, I'm wondering if we could think about fifth graders. Let's just think about mm -hmm. fifth graders. I'm a fifth grade teacher. I'm planning for a reading lesson. What should I be thinking about? I have a fifth grade text in front of me. Melissa, you want to name a fifth grade text for us? The Phantom Toll Booth. The All right. Phantom Toll Booth. Okay. I, <laughs> I haven't read that text in a very long time. But <laughs> I think there's some crazy vocabulary like uh, 
dodecahedron. Am I sound not oh. saying it right? Dodecahedron. Oh, then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I may even have that text somewhere in a closet. I have lots of teaching materials. So, um, yeah. So, well, I, I think when we step back, um, the first thing that I would encourage people to do is take a look at the blueprint, look at those questions, and then begin to think about either unit organizers or lesson organizers that can align. And I've provided those, all right? Um, so I always, always want to start with the critical understanding. So why are we reading that text? You know, what's the big idea? What's what's the critical understanding that I want my student to walk away with? Um, so that's the content goal. You know, really, I can pull the content goal from that critical understanding. Maybe there's some essential questions I would develop. All right. And then I already have identified my reading. And I'm hoping that this reading does the following things for me. That'll help me develop the academic language that I want my fifth graders to have. And academic language has everything to do with a little bit more sophisticated vocabulary. You just referenced a word that would be a little bit more sophisticated. <laughs> um, the sentences are going to be a bit more complex and complicated. All right. The discourse structure, uh, you know, um, it's going to vary. There's going to be increasing nuance as we move through the grade and so on. So I'd want to be certain. I'd also want to be certain that there's opportunities to develop all those contributors I just talked about. And that really connects back to academic language. I'd also be thinking about, um, uh, in addition to the phantom toll booth and the enduring understanding, am I using some other texts that are also focused on that knowledge base, that what, what it is that I'm taking away from that particular book. I don't want to read that book in isolation and then move on to something totally different, right? Um, and once I kind of get that in mind, and oh, don't forget about access for the kiddos who can't read the book. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really important. Um, for sure. I want to, I, I want to identify the, the vocabulary words that I need to teach. And that's, and that's, that's, a little difficult. It's um, I think Maddie McCune calls that a self stealthy process, um, because we don't have an exact formula for for identifying those words. But we can think to ourselves, what's critical to understanding the text, you know? And and what are there some words that we can generate some other words, some growth in vocabulary? So um, the importance of um, growth, the importance of understanding the text. And once I've done that, then I have to have a simple routine and a complex routine, I have to be thinking through instructional strategies. I also want to look at the, at the sentences in the text. Is there a sentence or two that I want to pull out beforehand to have some conversation about because it's long or it's got a lot of embedded clauses or um, uh, it's written in passive voice versus active? So I want to be thinking about that and, and helping students know how to deconstruct sentences. I want to be thinking about um, also um, – the text structure. Are, are there any nuance in Phantom Tollbooth? So it's narrative, right? Is it? Is it narrative? Yeah, I thought it was yes. narrative. Yep. I really haven't looked at it in a long time. I recognize <laughs> the title. Good memory. Yeah, so, 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 you know, um, are, is there any nuance? I mean, we can go with a simple story grammar map, but uh, we want to go a little bit beyond that. What was the purpose? What are the features, you know, that we can pull out? Are the signal words? There are lots of different things we can be thinking about. And then, of course, what's the background knowledge? What's specific to that text that's going to help the student make meaning of that text? And how do we want them to express their understanding? So, um, you know, I, I think I think we have to be thinking through. We have to become the reader, and we have to we have to engage in the reading and be thinking through. Does the curriculum that we have, does the program that we have, address all of these different things, or do we have to begin to supplement for our students or elaborate on? And no program is perfect. There are many wonderful programs, but almost always, you know, I mean, this is why we're teachers, right? Almost always we have to be thinking about what else might I have to do um, knowing my reader. Yeah. Was that helpful? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it I really I, is. I, yeah. I did think about, um, I have an example in the, in the blueprint about uh, Kayla reading, uh, reading uh, a placard in a science museum about dinosaurs because her class was reading about dinosaurs, Dinotopia and so on. And, um, and the kind of thinking through her teacher was asking her to write a summary of, of what she was learning in that science museum about a specific dinosaur. And she 
picked a specific one. Well, she had to understand the precise vocabulary. What did extinct mean? What's prehistoric mean? You know, um, she had to be thinking about well, she, difference between meat eaters and plant eaters. You know, um, and then these long sentences. And I gave you the example of the it sentence before. Did she understand the it? Um, you know, so all of that is going into the ability and every text is going to be a little bit different, but there are some general things we can be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's so helpful. I'm thinking too, like when you're thinking about texts, um, you know, I know we gave a, a book as an example, but also the surrounding texts for that book or you know, core text or whatever we would want to call it, the text that we might yeah. use to build knowledge or Yes. Um, yes. Can yeah. be. They don't have to be a book. It could be a video, a song, a an articles. Right. I just. I want to make sure we say that because it's so. I think sometimes it's easy to get in that uh, that box again of like you know text. We, we need a whole other book. Well, I mean, the Phantom Toll Booth. If we're going back to that example, that's a, all about wordplay. <laughs> like uh, you know, I know the. Um, I've been in classrooms and I've seen kids watching um, Abbott and Costello's Who's on First as a text to support their understanding of wordplay before they dive into the Phantom Tollbooth. Oh, that's and, oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's really neat, and they it, they totally yeah. get it, and it's it, that's a great way to you know prepare well, students to read. <laughs> right. Well, it comes to, it comes back to this whole idea of um, you know background knowledge and. You know, I call it the ABCs, you know, activating and assessing, kind of figuring out what kiddos are bringing. All right. Um, but also then how do you build? And there are multiple ways, as you're just saying, to build. So certainly uh, text sets, you know, um, books around particular theme, very helpful. But authentic artifacts are helpful as well. And so you're bringing to mind um, an example that I often use if you're reading about, um, you know, the the bus boycott, all right, and um, we're reading about Rosa Parks um, uh, and and others. Um, you know, what is it that we can use pictures of um, the actual bus? You know, the seating on the bus, the arrest record, the fingerprint record. I mean, these are really important, and videos can be critically important as well. And I love the example of um, uh, uh, songs and raps and so on. Um, because I've heard teachers say, you know, that they've used those and kids all immediately make these connections. And it's sort of like, wow, I, I can't <laughs> believe they just made that connection. So, but, you know, being uh, purposeful about what we choose. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, there's, there's no doubt that um, this takes a great deal of thinking and planning. And again, I'll come back to let's look at our curriculum. Let's look at our program. Let's look at what we're doing well in terms of what the blueprint points out as contributors and let's look at maybe what we haven't addressed and how can we go about supplementing. Nancy, can I ask you a quick question? Well, not a quick question, but <laughs> diving into something you've mentioned a couple times already, which is about goals. Just because yeah. I know Lori and I get questions about this quite a bit because I know when I was in the classroom, your, your learning goal for the day had to be posted on your board. You know, that's what oh, your administrator yeah. came around to check on yeah. and, yeah. and it had to be aligned to a standard and, yeah. And if I was doing that, it was often, it, it became this, you know, skill or strategy, really skill driven, you know, like find the main idea because that's in a standard. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that uh -huh. becomes my learning goal. But you uh -huh. kind of brought up having this two goals. Can you, can you dive into that a little bit more of like how teachers would go about finding yeah. those goals? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, well, sometimes the curriculum or program will provide those, right? They will provide it's a good starting content. point. Yes. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very good <laughs> oh my starting gosh. point. I would prefer uh -huh. that. If, speaking yes. honestly, that was like the the bane of my existence. I hated writing those the objectives every day. It was I really didn't like it. If I'm uh -huh. being honest, yeah. <laughs> kind of was frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I well, I think I think you know if you know what your big idea or your enduring understanding is, you can develop essential questions from that. All right. So um, you can you can take something like um, I'm working with a colleague right now on an activity book that will supplement the blueprint and there's lots of activities in it um, and um, she's in she's yeah and uh, she's in classroom so uh, good to have a teacher working with someone who hasn't been in classroom for a while um, 
understand it, but I'm not having that day-to-day experience and she is. So, um, you know, for instance, um, uh, those enduring understandings, one of the ones that we've given an example of in the activity book is personal around personal identity. Who am I? Um, for kindergarten and eighth grade, we've contrasted how you can pull that through, all right, um, the various grades. And um, she's developed all the essential questions. So the essential questions are always there, all right, and they're kind of guiding what it is that we're doing. And then the lesson plans will reference back to those, but maybe more specific in terms of developing the vocabulary, the sentence comprehension you know, the background knowledge, and so on um, throughout. So I, I think that's the way that we're, we're thinking about goals and objectives. Now, I've seen teachers do this grade by grade. In fact, um, uh, one of the ways that I uh, developed the blueprint, further developed the blueprint, by, was by working with teachers in a private school setting, all right, where, in fact, we had the freedom to develop our own curriculum, all right. And we worked grade by grade, all right, across the grade levels, identifying what was currently being taught in the ELA classes, what was being taught in science, what was being taught in social studies, what and their social studies was um, kind of um, an embedded um, club in which students actually sp- experience different time periods, right? Um, what was being done in art. And then we looked at standards and we looked at state curriculum and then we identified across the grade levels what those big ideas would be. So that that guided unit development then, all right? Now, I realize teachers don't always have that freedom, but they do have the freedom of looking at what it is they're currently using and can they begin to collect ideas around what do we want our students to learn from this and what are some of the strategies and skills that we need to embed in order to develop those processes and skills, yeah. So, um yeah, it's difficult because the standards the standards do take over sometimes, don't they? Yeah. And and so trying to uh, make a connection back to the standards, I, I want to acknowledge is important. Um, but the standards aren't perfect either. Yeah. So I don't know if that helped or not. I hope it helped. It helps. We get that question a whole lot. We <laughs> we yes, always we get in inboxed like oh I have to write objectives and how does this work and so that was that's really helpful to think about yeah yeah well to be thinking about you know if I if I just pulled out vocabulary for instance and I selected a number of words to teach for vocabulary right and those words would have to connect back to the big ideas they would be critical to understanding what right. the big ideas and those essential questions are all right And then thinking through, how do I introduce the words? So my objective might be to introduce the words using a simple routine, right? And we can talk more about that, but a simple routine should always, always contain definitional and contextual information, always. And then secondly, all right, my objective on another day might be to further develop depth of knowledge about that particular word. Because if you're intentionally teaching a word, then you're teaching it for depth. It's not like incidental, all right? Mm-hmm. So, and what would that that routine look like? That routine would include processing and practice activities. So, the development of word maps, or maybe using something in a sentence. Or, I mean, there are a number of things we could answering questions about. You know, um, there are a number of things we could talk about in terms of um, a more uh, complex routine. So, understanding that you know, vocabulary, for instance, needs to be taught one, the introduction, but then two, the processing and practice. And the objectives then could align with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think the part where it gets tricky is that they're like, you know, vocabulary and knowledge, and I'm going to put them all together for the sake of this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're unconstrained skills. So I think that that's where it gets kind of tricky. It's, it's hard to say that a student has quote, achieved this goal or, or mastered these these skills when in a different context, they might struggle. But I think then that's the key, right? Is that we change the context on them. It's the same reader. We know the information that we've given them, but the context or the text is different. Um, can you, mm. can you speak to that? Well, I think, I think for instance, if I'm thinking about vocabulary, all right, this ability to transfer my knowledge of vocabulary to another text um, has everything to do with having taught that word well. 
Um, it's not about simply giving students a definition or asking them to just write a word in a sentence. It has everything to do with these uh, the active processing of the word and the activities that go along with that. If you haven't done that work, then they're not going to be able to take that word and transfer it. All right. The other thing is with background knowledge, this whole idea of critical understandings in a mental model has to do exactly with what you just said. It has to do with the fact that if I change the context, all right, and now I'm reading a text about something different, but the theme is the same or the critical understanding is the same, I'm able to make a connection, even though I recognize the difference, I'm able to make a connection. So um, John Compton um, at uh, uh, FSU, uh, Laura Stacy, Amy Elliman, uh, who's at MTSU, a number of years ago, but they just recently published a paper on this, did a study at this private school, actually AIM Academy, all right, outside Philadelphia, where they took a look at the fact that in the, the um, humanities club, that social studies-based club, they were teaching students, of course, across the curriculum too, but um, they were focused on that, teaching students about big ideas that related to different time periods and looking at um, innovation, all right, and how innovation, the effects of innovation and how innovation can, um, you know, uh, change the way we think and do things and so on, looking at the printing press um, as um, an innovation in a certain time period, and then looking at Twitter, and making the comparisons between and seeing whether or not students could actually transfer that knowledge. And they did. All right. So if we teach it well, if we if we use more than, as I said before, one source. All right. If we're using multiple sources, whether that's text, video, whatever those sources are, and we continue to build that over time. That's the other thing about background knowledge. When you look at the general principles for this, people like Susan Newman will say, you need to review. You need to build over time. You need to revisit. This is one of the reasons why in our activity book, we revisit, we give examples of revisiting the same theme or big idea in kindergarten and then in eighth grade. So I don't know if that uh, was exactly yeah. the response you wanted, but <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Lori and I talk about this a lot where people often want to like teach everything at the same time. Like, you know, if you're teaching about uh particular period of history. Like, let's teach that in social studies in third grade. We'll teach the, the books in third grade at the same time. So they're getting it all at the same time. And we're always like, well, don't you want to like do what you just said, Nancy, where it's like, yeah, they hear about it a little bit in third grade and then they build on it when they hear about it more in Revisit. social studies when they get to fifth grade and they, they keep hearing it over and build on their knowledge instead of just, you get it once and it's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, exa that's exactly right. So this, this idea that we're continually learning, you know, that we're have, having these experiences and we keep building our schema, if you want to call it that, um, um, our knowledge base um, in that particular area, which allows us to be more sophisticated in our learning. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So I also think uh, it's like how we naturally learn, like, in real life, yes. it, it kind yes. of mimics like I don't yes. learn everything about like I, I just, you know, I just wrote read a historical fiction book and many of the elements um, were about like the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression. Well, I yes. like the last time I've in, in read about the Great Depression was, I don't know, six months ago when I read the young adult book, but not buddy. And then like before that was way before maybe I watched a documentary, but it wasn't like I didn't sit down and in three months learn everything about the Great Depression. <laughs> and that it just it and also it gives me time, you know, just speaking for myself, like it gives me time to like sit and reflect on what I've learned, make those authentic connections, use the vocabulary, use the knowledge, try it out right. in right. conversation. Right. It, right. it just right. feels authentic. And I I know I'm not citing any any research on that, just you know my own. <laughs> but we do get this that question a lot, like, oh, should I move this module to align with this? And I just think it's our our kind of our thoughts as as teachers, like, oh, well, we re really want students to learn all they can about it's. I, you know, I, I think it's well well intentioned right, and well meaning. Yeah. I it's, just I don't yeah. always think it's needed. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's putting things in boxes again. Oh, check. Mm -hmm. We've done that. You're, yes. What you're making, which, yeah, yeah. What you're making me think about is even the way that we acquire vocabulary. So it's incremental, isn't it? It's bit by bit. It's not, you know, the, the little guy or gal, and I've used this example as well. What's their concept of dog? 
you know, when they're two years old, three years old, five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old. Think about how that semantic network, which is really a knowledge network, keeps expanding over time because of our interactions and experience. And the same is true with, you know, with, with, um, let's say these bigger ideas. All right. So being introduced, for instance, early on to, um, uh, the idea of activists, uh, revolutionaries. Um, I always think about the book, Dear Benjamin Banneker. It's one of my favorite books. All right. And he lived, I don't know if you know the book, but he lived at the same time as Thomas Jefferson. He was a free African American male. All right. He was an astronomer. He wrote an almanac and he challenged Thomas Jefferson. He wrote him a letter about the fact that he owned slaves. And yet what had he written? All men are created equal. All right. So, and that idea of being an activist or a revolutionary, you know, you can carry, you carry that through. I mean, you know, you can think about Rosa Parks and you can keep, just keep going with that um, to current day. So that revisiting and that connection, I think is really important. We can't learn it all at once. This is not how we learn. Yeah. So it's incremental bit by bit and it becomes more and more multidimensional as a result. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, so and you glad said we talked about that. <laughs> yeah. And you said something very important about being able to express what it is that, you know, you're learning about. So, you know, whether it's vocabulary, sentence structure, background, we need to give our students opportunity to talk about and then demonstrate at that level their understanding, not just big picture main idea, but do you tell me all you know about this particular word? I mean, if you go for a depth and I keep using vocabulary, but we could use other (laughs) things. But um, if you go for a depth of knowledge, what is it that you expect that student to be able to tell you back? Not just the definition, the synonyms, the antonyms, the figurative use, the phonology, the orthography, the orthography of, of the language, perhaps the morphology. I mean, it's this depth that we want for our students to have, but it is acquired over time. We continue to work at it. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. Nancy, I, we, we talked about a very complex topic in a short period of time, <laughs> but I'm wondering before we close out, is there anything that we did not hit on that you want to make sure our listeners hear before we wrap things up? Well, I, I do just want to come to, I, we had talked a great deal about vocabulary. I want to be talking about the background knowledge piece as well and how important that is and the multiple ways in which background knowledge um, really facilitates our learning. Um, I also want to separate out this idea of everything we know, knowledge, everything we know, all right, uh, from background knowledge, which is really very specific to the text at hand. Um, at the same time, um, all we know, all right, um, in terms of text comprehension also includes our semantic, our syntactic, right, um, knowledge, our linguistic knowledge. And sometimes I think all of this gets muddied, and, and I, I really want very much for teachers to be thinking about knowledge in a very broad way um, in terms of, you know, everything we're acquiring, this is the purposeful learning and so on. But then also stepping back and saying there's linguistic knowledge that students need the ability, the lexical knowledge, the semantic, the syntactic knowledge, as well as this background knowledge and and these experiences that we've had. And all of that is important and needs to be integrated um, as we work with text. Yeah. So, wow. We couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I know. I know. I know you couldn't agree more. So anyway. So Uh um, is, is there anything else you wanted to ask me? I mean, we could go all day, Nancy, but <laughs> <what I> <laughs> we will we will restrain ourselves because you've already very kindly given us a whole hour of your time. Um, wow. And, you know, I think listeners, it's it's such a good time to pause and reflect. Like if I if I were a listener right now and I, I'd be thinking about my curriculum in particular and how it how it helps students become, you know, complex comprehenders. Um, and I'd be thinking about the texts and exactly what you said around um, like what processes are happening and, and what what skills right are happening within and and trying to identify those. I, it's just such a great moment to, to pause and reflect on what materials do I have and, and what are they doing yeah. for my students 
Um, as we, and I know this isn't happening in the summer, this, this episode's launching in the summer. So teachers, I think have that time to hopefully do a little reflecting. So we're, we're excited that they, that you've given them so much to think about. Well, I, I'm really thrilled that I had this opportunity and I could go on and on forever, as you can tell. <laughs> and, and yes, I purposefully asked the listeners at the beginning to be thinking about how the, what they surfaced in terms of their knowledge of comprehension. And so hopefully they're taking away something that is useful for them in terms of how they go about working with their students, because that's the, that's, that's the bottom line, being able to work with our students and move them along in terms of their reading proficiency and their ability to learn so that they take away knowledge. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you well, for thank, being here, thank Nancy. You. Yeah. Thank All right. you, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, literacy lovers. To stay connected with us, sign up for our email list at literacypodcast.com. And to keep learning together, join the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast Facebook group and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If this episode resonated with you, take a moment to share with a teacher friend or leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just a quick reminder that the views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast are not necessarily the opinions of Great Minds PBC or its employees. We appreciate you so much, and we're so glad you're here to learn with us.